Welcome to the Workplace Forward Podcast with your host, executive coach Tegan Travato, founder and CEO of Bright Arrow Coaching. Are you a perpetually busy, always overstretched leader or executive who feels there's never time to keep up with leadership trends in an always changing landscape, much less self-care? Workplace Forward will help you overcome both challenges and gain peace of mind. Through Tegan's conversations with executives, experts, authors, and innovators about their leadership journeys, you'll get quick hits of two things you need the most. Essential insights to help navigate the future workplace and best practices on the more human side of leadership so you're empowered to take care of yourself while leading others. Enjoy some well-deserved time for yourself to learn and recharge. Let's get started with today's guest. Tegan, take it away. Hey, listeners, very excited to have Michelle Tillis Letterman on the podcast today. She wrote a book recently that I read, and that's very much what attracted me to having her on the podcast called The Connector's Advantage. And I personally got a lot out of the book. I'm already a connector. It's my nature. But there were definitely a couple of things in there that hadn't occurred to me. And also one big thing that helped me just level up on how I make connections in my own life and business. So it's not often I feel that excited and moved by some some thought leadership, and certainly I was by her book. So I also talk a lot with our executives that we coach at Bright Arrow about the importance of, well, I would call it networking. Michelle would not, and you'll learn about that here in the podcast. But I talk a lot with our leaders about why we need to be connected with other leaders and giving back as frequently as possible and being comfortable making asks of the people we know and are connected with. So we'll talk about that a little more. So it's very important for our leaders to identify with this work that she's bringing forward and and apply it. And frankly, I think now more than ever, it's important that we're thinking about connection. We talk a lot about it in our private coaching sessions with leaders that we're not feeling as connected as we used to in many ways. We'll talk about, about that on the podcast today as well. So a little bit more about Michelle. She's a, been recognized by Forbes as one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch. She has written four books, including the one I referenced and another you may have heard of her more recent one before this one that she just wrote, The 11 Laws of Likeability. So she's an NYU, former NYU professor, financial executive. She refers to herself as a recovering CPA. And she now works with individuals and organizations through her executive coaching firm called Executive Essentials. And through that firm, she has worked with some of the world's best-known brands. Some of them, of course, you will have heard of, such as City, Johnson & Johnson, Ernst & Young, just to name a couple. And you've probably seen her online, even if you didn't realize it. She's been featured on CBS, MSNBC, and in the New York Times and Forbes and Working Mother Magazine. I'm sure you're going to enjoy our conversation today. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I could not wait to get you in front of our listeners. You know, for those listening, I read the book. I had so many aha moments for myself. I couldn't wait to talk with you about some of them. But also, I knew I needed you on this podcast because when I found your book, I immediately sent it to several clients. And that's when I know it is so right for our executive audience. Okay, that just made my day. (laughs) And I'm just going to put this out there for you and for anyone else listening. I do a little thing where I personalize it 
from, with a message from you to really create a connection and what I call bumpy mail, because bumpy mail always gets opened. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to do something where they want to really get noticed, I'll work with you and do it for you. Oh, that's amazing. You'll sign the book and put a special I message. Sign the okay. book. I put a bookmark in. Sometimes I even throw a little pen with a blue hair. It's uh- <laughs> your signature thing. Well, you know, they can't see me, but you can see my hair is is a little cray cray. Beautiful (laughs) curls is what I would say. Okay, good. We'll include, I'm sure that we have the link for that option. So I'll be sure we include that in the show notes. So, you know, I think for you to know, Michelle, what stood out for me about this work is that, you know, we both coach executives. It is astounding to me how busy they get into the work heads down and they neglect to network outside of the business. And I pretty regularly check in with my clients like a couple of times a year. How are you doing with your networking? Are you staying connected? Because they feel so awful when they need something from their network that no one's heard from them for years until they pop out and need something. So I'm encouraging to always create the reciprocity right away, like be giving to your network in advance. So when you need something back, they're ready to help. And it feels good, right? What I appreciate about your book is that you just made this easy for people. Like you gave this great roadmap. There's a lot of good science packed in there and research. It was just beautifully done. So it's really ripe for the executive audience to understand why we do it and how we do it at that level. So thank you so much. Oh, you know, there's so many things that my head started going into so many different directions as I listen to you. <laughs> and one of the places I get stuck, and it might be where a lot of people who are listening get stuck, is is at the word networking. Yes. Networking, networking. And people have a visceral response to this word. Mm-hmm. And I understand because I do as well. It has the word work in it. Well, why would I want to do that? It's work. So I actually shifted the language and my first book on likability was definitely a networking book. But the book that we're talking about, The Connector's Advantage, my brother-in-law walks to my office and he's like, oh, we're writing another networking book. I'm like, no, 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 no. This one's about being a connector. Mm. And he's like, well, what's the difference? And you know, when those moments when like you, you think, you know, something, and then somebody asks you and you're like, you know, uh. stumbling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just looked at him, I'm like, that's a really good question. And I said, well, networking is something that you do, but a connector is who you are. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh my God. That's the there last line is. of my book. That's what it is. That's it. Yeah. And so I want everyone out there listening who is kind of having that little visceral reaction, who's getting a little like heart palpitation at the idea of I have to do this. I know I have to do this. I don't want to do this to think of it differently and to think of it as just going out and making friends, just going out and being social, just being curious about one other person and prioritizing relationships in all of your interactions and whatever you're doing, personal or professional, when you prioritize relationships, you are being a connector. Yes. There was a lot in the book that was mindset oriented, which I really appreciated because I, I mean, I feel it in myself when I've got to go out and do something where you're just like, okay, I got to get pumped up. And you know, it's like, no, you don't really have to over pump. You just show up and have a conversation and into your point being curious, which you talk about in the book as well. So I really appreciate that. It isn't just the tactics of how to connect. It's the mindset with which to connect that you spend a lot of time on in the book, which is really resonant. Yeah. I actually think that the mindset drives the behavior. So Hmm. you mentioned that I I have a lot of stats and research behind it. I love stats. You know, I kind of grew up in a left brain industry. And so I like the proof of concept and it's not just a theory. It's, oh, wait, there's research behind this. And so when I started doing the work, I had 
a vision in my head of what were the behaviors and the attributes of a connector. And the original title of the book was The Connector's Club, because I thought it was this elite, you know, very specific group of qualities. And when we did the research, I was wrong. Mm. (laughs) I was like, really very little differentiation in some of these behaviors between connectors and non-connectors. And so what I realized was beyond the one big differentiator, which is personal satisfaction just from making the connection was I think 60% higher in connectors. Like that was their motivation that drove them. Mm. Other than that, anybody can adopt these behaviors. And Mm -hmm. that opened my eyes and shifted the entire work of the book around, oh, okay, well, if anybody could be a connector, well, how do I do it? And it's starting to think a little bit differently. And then for me, I like to be pragmatic and a little prescriptive and give you some tactics so you can say, okay, did that check? Mm -hmm. What made you want to kind of move out of the word networking and because you're you're known as one of the top 25 professionals in the networking experts to watch from Forbes, right? So like yeah. <laughs> that is that's been your jam. And what made you shift and really kind of take this view with this book at this time? So the connections advantage actually follows the 11 laws of likability. Mm-hmm. So it is it is foundational. And the truth is I didn't want the word networking in the first book. The publisher, because of SEO and all of that stuff, made mm-hmm. me put it in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it's not. It's only half of it. And he, they're like, what's the other half? And I'm like, relationships. And and so we actually coined the phrase relationship networking. And that one doesn't make me cringe quite as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, because when we feel differently about it, we have an easier time doing it. Um, totally agree. I don't kind of throw away this idea of networking, but I want you to think about not networking for now and not networking for need. Mm-hmm. Right, which is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But if we are kind of thinking about you're always networking, or switch that word and say you're always relationship networking, or you're always making friends, mm-hmm. or you're always connecting, mm-hmm. right? Pick the word that works for you so that you can feel that you can embrace it and infuse it into everything that you do, and the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. I know. And the word connection is so, I know you wrote this book, if I'm not mistaken, you're working on it before the pandemic, I have to assume. Oh yeah. This book came out like, and we were doing a big thing in March of 2020. Yeah, <laughs> You thought you were right, right, right. Yeah. You know, what stands out for me is that connection has become so important. It has become unpredictably robust as a concept, you know? So I just think the timing accidental but beautiful. Right. And that's part of what attracted me is the word connection. And I do appreciate the the depth of the reframe around it's not networking. It's not just because you need, it's also giving. And we're in a time where I know just from talking with folks personally in my work, people want to give. They really are hungry to give to the right causes, to the right people, but they're also hungry to receive in ways they've not been hungry before. So I love this concept of wrapping it in the arms of connection so as a theme. Bring me back to the whole idea of giving, right? Because you mm-hmm. just hit on two of the mindsets of a connector. There's seven and, and I'll list them for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you hit on the, the spirit of generosity and having a clear vision. So I want to come back mm-hmm. to that. But before we do, when you talk about the need for connection, especially now when, mm-hmm. you know, 
most companies are not going back to work 100% in person. Mm -hmm. So we have more isolation. I didn't call it social distancing. I called it physical distancing because we can still be social even if we are not in the same space. And when you think about some of the impacts of the isolation of the past two years on our mental health and on our physical health, Mm -hmm. social isolation has a greater impact on your mortality than obesity Mm -hmm. and an equal impact as if you smoked 10 cigarettes a day for over a decade. So we need those connections for our physical and our mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, further to your point, even with the chosen separation that we had to create for physical safety, there's been so much polarization in terms of what science we believe and follow, what politics we believe and follow, what we associate with and don't, that even within the places we used to find connection, that connection dwindled, right? So it's, you know, just blowing that up even more, just the need for connection has never been greater, I think. So I actually think that if people could adopt some of these mindsets, it could change the dynamics of our country. You know, yes, lofty goal there. Let's aim high. I'm down with that. Yes. (laughs) I actually changed the entire last section of the book to be to expand and diversify our connections, to be an inclusive connector, to think about how do we connect with different kind of groups of people, whether it be millennials or influencers or or whoever it might be, because we tend to surround ourselves because of some of the theories and likability with people like us. It's our comfort zone. It reinforces, makes us feel part of a community, a tribe. Those are all great and wonderful things. Never been truer. Yeah. When we think about the connections advantage, right? Mm -hmm. The title of the book is about faster, easier, better results. Whatever it is you're working on, whether it is health, happiness, new job, new clients, new referral, whatever it is, you're going to get there faster, easier, and often with a better result through your connections. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that advantage, when we expand, when we diversify, when we have access to people who think differently, who know different people, who bring different skills to the the table, that's when we are going to exponentially amplify that advantage. Mm. So, you know, we're motivated by what's in it for us, the natural law. Mm -hmm. It is in it for you to know and to build relationship with people who think differently, who are different, whether it is age, gender, orientation, ethnicity, demography, education level, functional job, level in the hierarchy, industry, like all of those things, we want to be the person who I know somebody. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it feels great to do that. What about the um, seven mindsets? Do you care to go over those? There we, We talked about two. So we didn't actually get to talk about two. I'm going to list all seven and then you get to pick. But okay. You, love you it. kind of started talking about something that made me think about the two. That's we talked about generosity. Well, we touched on it. We didn't go deep. What's yeah. the other one that came out of that? I have a clear vision. Okay. So okay. in the order of the book, let's mm-hmm. see, actually, I'll have my, I have my cheat sheet. I have a little bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> Perfection. Yes. Connectors are open and accepting. They have a clear vision. They come from a place of abundance. They trust. They are social and curious, conscientious and have a generous spirit. Mm -hmm. 
And so earlier when you talked about connection being, you know, not just receiving, but giving, you really touched on two key mindsets because for me, the spirit of generosity is the foundation of connection. It is not about reciprocity. And I know you use that word. And actually the law of giving in likability was originally, that chapter was originally called the law of reciprocity. And it didn't sit right with me mm. because reciprocity is like the quid pro quo. And that's not what I want people to right. be feeling or thinking. Good. Okay. I mm-hmm. would rather you think about having a generous spirit, giving because you can and you want to without expectation. And what that does for you is it gives you permission um, and a willingness to receive, even if it's not from the person you gave to. Mm-hmm. Because you infuse that mindset into your being, because you know you give, you almost feel like you've earned the receipt, even if it's from somebody else. So, in order to get the advantage, right? You can't get results if you don't know what results you're looking for. And that's why having a clear vision is so critical. Mm -hmm. And not just knowing what you want, but being willing to ask for it because, you know, we all need help. Can you say more about that particular one? So as you said, the seven, I wrote them down. That's one that I circled. Tell listeners more about what it even means to have a clear vision when it comes to connection. So the having a clear vision is not necessarily about anybody else, but you. It's what I'm working on, what I'm working towards my vision for me. And that vision could be three months from now or three years from now. And there's no, when I say have a clear vision, it doesn't have to be your five to 10 year plan because I don't have one. (laughs) I can't think that far. Mm. I have never thought really beyond a 12 month frame. And my vision could be something small. So when the Connectors Bench came out, my first vision was I want to get to a hundred reviews. And I would tell everybody, honest reviews are appreciated. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm over hundred reviews now. And so then I might shift to a different goal, you know? And so it could be, here's the one clear specific thing I'm working on because when you have that thing, that's clear, people then can help you or advise you or connect you or contribute to advancing that goal. But if you don't have clarity on it, if you don't know what you're working on, it could be, I want to make partner. It could be, I want a new job. It could be, I'm trying to learn about this industry. It could be, you know, I'm building a business and looking for this type of client. Mm -hmm. The more clear you are, the more likely you are to achieve it because when you know it, you should be talking about it. Right. (laughs) That's right. And so I really focus there on how do you ask without putting a relationship at risk? Gonna take us <laughs> down a little rabbit I hole. I know, I know. I, I know listeners can't see it, but I put my hands on my hips in my chair because what comes up for me as you talk about that, and forgive me, I don't recall if you spoke to this in the book. Women tend to not stake their claims as clearly about what they want as men do. In my experience, in leadership, they are wonderful leaders. They are great connectors, and I think that women tend to put themselves last in terms of, you know, stating what it is they want and then being very open to receiving it. This is my personal take and I am speaking very generally. I will own that. So I'm curious. definitely research behind it. You're not pulling it out of nowhere. Sally Helgeson, who wrote How Women Rise, and yeah, that's a fabulous book. And she's Mm -hmm. one of the leaders in the research around female leadership. She talks about some habits that hold women back. And one of them is kind of assuming people are going to notice the good work you're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a hesitancy to self-promote. So in terms of asking for what you want, I will share with you two clients, finance clients, one male, one female. 
So what happens is I'm hearing about bonus season (laughs) and the male client went in before bonuses were out and said, this is what I expect. And I had to coach the female client because she was venting about last year. And I said, well, what did you do to set expectations and to ask for, you know, what you thought you deserved? And she had it. Mm-hmm. So we had to have her go in ahead of time because here's what happens. And I'm using random numbers. I think I should get a $50,000 bonus and my bonus comes in and it's 10 and I'm livid. Now, if I, in advance said, I think I should get a $50,000 bonus and they're planning to give me 10, they're going to be like, oh, I can't give her 10. That's too far away from what she thinks she should get. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give her 30. Still not all the way there, but a hell of a lot better than where she was. Right. And so with that clarity, we have to put forth you know, what we want. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I talk about different ways to make an ask that can alleviate the fear that we have around it. And so for the women and the men out there who are thinking it's sometimes difficult to ask, I want you to ask yourself what it is that you're worried about. Are you worried about coming off too aggressive or pushy? Are you worried about offending them? Are you worried about if they want to say no, you make them uncomfortable? You know, are you worried about just being rejected and then feeling stupid? Like, what are you worried about? Because that can drive what type of ask you make. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give you one, one ask that everybody can walk out of this podcast using because it's my favorite. Great. Which is the non-ask. When you have a goal, you can share it. And what you're doing is you are being vulnerable with somebody else. And you'll say something like, so I have a goal of hitting a hundred reviews on my book. I never ask you to make a review. I just shared a goal. Mm -hmm. And what that does is most people want to be valuable. Most people Mm -hmm. want to help. And so they're in their mind going, well, how could I help this person achieve that goal? And if they don't come up with something, you might just say, do you have any advice for me? Because just asking that and they'll, again, they want to feel valuable and helpful. And they might say, you know, I don't know. Let's think about it. Let me collaborate with you. And just the collaboration, just the conversation might give you an idea, might spark something. And so engaging them in, helping you achieve that goal in whatever direct or indirect way is so, so powerful and creates connection because you then have another point of contact that person to let them know how that conversation landed, impacted, and resulted in something. Yes. Oh my gosh. Look, that was worth its weight in gold. I hope everyone out there caught that, not just the women, but also the men, because I do think generationally, there's a big difference too with the thinking of keep your head down, do good work, you'll get paid, you'll get noticed. And that's just not true, folks. It hasn't been true for a long time that I think that there are whole generations that that is the core belief about how we show up at work. And so what you just shared is super valuable for many, many folks. Thank you. We call it advertising, right? So (laughs) people don't like self-promotion. That's right. right? Mm Self-promotion kind of makes this twingy connotation in our own minds of I'm not being humble, I'm not being modest, especially for the women out there. Men can get away with it a little bit easier, right? But if we call it advertising, if we call it marketing, that feels a little different to us. And 
in the stakeholder centered coaching approach that was designed by Marshall Goldsmith mm-hmm. of, you know, what got you here won't get you there. One of the things he talks about is advertise what you're working on, right? So mm-hmm. people will then more likely see it because they don't see it unless it's put in front of them. Mm-hmm. And the more frequency that you share it, the more likely they're going to see whatever behavioral change or assist with whatever goal you have. So if you want to call it advertising, I actually like calling it sharing. Well done. Well done. All the reframes, mm, yeah. all the mindset shifts. <laughs> Beautiful. Speaking of mindset shifts, here's another one. Help our listeners with this one. When someone comes to the table thinking they're not good at connecting, how can they sort of adopt a different mindset and also kind of come to that understanding you've spoken to in the book about the spectrum of connectors? Yes. Okay. So this is key because anyone who's probably even listening to this podcast is not a non-connector, right? You see the value in relationships and that's how we start moving our way up the spectrum. It is not a black or white A or B thing. It is, you know, A to Z, so to speak, but I make it only seven because that's just too complicated. So there's two ways that we move up. An emerging connector, which I would venture to say that there is nobody who is less than an emerging connector. It's somebody who values relationships and is testing out some of these mindsets and trying here and there, but just hasn't built the confidence, you know, or the security in implementing these on, on a regular basis. So as we move the spectrum, we are pulling the first level, which is responsiveness versus initiation. When we get requests for help, when we get requests for introductions, we are responding to them. And then you're a responsive connector. And that's great. People know that you're somebody they can reach out to, but you're not yet initiating. You're not yet in the mindset where you're thinking, oh, I know somebody I should introduce you to, or, oh, do you know this person? And can I invite you to that group? And by the way, Tegan and I, before this already kind of had like, oh, I could introduce you to this if you're doing that. And I can, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the mindset of initiation. Once you're initiating as well as responding, you're an acting connector and that could be enough. Mm -hmm. When you pull the other lever, which is breath and depth, that's when you kind of go into the upper echelons. So when you go deep, And deep could be in an industry, a geography, a function. It's just, you're going deep in something. Yeah. That was like the chime of, yes, this is magic. (laughs) (laughs) When we go deep, we become a niche connector. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody in the legal field in New York or something like that. Mm -hmm. When you go broad, and that was kind of the diversification that we talked about earlier, all those different ways that we can diversify that's when you become a super connector. And if you cross your country's borders, then you're a global super connector. So we have all these levels that we can go up and down. But one of the things that you said to me was people who think they're not good at this. Mm-hmm. First of all, there is a, a three-minute free quiz that you can take to see where you are to, first of all, give yourself a little credit for the things that you are already doing. You're on the spectrum, right? And that has a different connotation in my world than doesn't yes. some, but right, right, right. <laughs> you're on the connector <laughs> spectrum. And so you'll then get ideas of how do you move up? But the other people that often say, I'm not good at this is the introverted community Mm -hmm. of which I'm married to, of which most of my clients are part of. And I will tell you some of the best connectors I know are introverts. And so when you say, I'm not good at this, what are the things I want? And by the way, extroverts, I want you to do this too. I want you to think about what strengths you bring to the table naturally and what are your stretches? So where the introverts natural strengths are listening, connecting in the one-on-one, which is really where connection forms 
and kind of not putting people off, like not coming on too strong. So the extrovert, their natural strength is putting people at ease, bringing people into conversation, keeping a conversation going, and a willingness to share information. So you can kind of see the opposite is where the stretch is. Whereas extroverts need to focus a little bit more on listening, right? And and Mm -hmm. giving the floor to somebody else and not oversharing, perhaps. I might've been accused of that once or twice. Um, (laughs) Ditto, kiddo. I'm with you on that one. Yes. TMI should be my like tagline. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. The introverts, their stretch is really about not trying to force it. They don't have to be the life of the party or, or they're already putting people at ease, focusing on those environments. But what I want them to stretch is their willingness to share. A lot of times they are great at inquiry and listening and, and pulling information and making somebody feel heard and listened to, but then they walk away and they heard nothing about you. Mm-hmm. And so being a little bit of vulnerable, when we think about that conversation, Think about a topic that you're willing to contribute to as well and sprinkle in, here's a little bit about me and then go back to them. So I always kind of think of it a little bit like a dance. Well done. Very digestible and hopefully put people at ease because I think it can really just seem so daunting to even kick off and get started. And I always appreciate the shout out to introverts because many of them are leaders Many more of them should be recognized for leadership roles. That's a whole other conversation we could probably have. I'm also married to an introvert, so (laughs) with you. And most of the people I love are introverts. I don't know how that happened, but it's true. So Because it's a great balance. Mm -hmm. It is. We kind of, as long as we are not over leveraging our style, right? Mm -hmm. And and so as we, you know, as coaches... As mm-hmm. right when we think about our clients, I'm like writing a 360 right now. And what happens with with these reports are that we see all these great things about somebody. I have somebody who's highly analytical and extremely intelligent, and you know, very direct communicator. And those are all fabulous, really great qualities. But when over leveraged, what's the result? Makes people feel stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shuts be, down the room. Yep can rebuff people's ideas, can all those things. So when it comes to introversion and extroversion, we can over leverage. And it was something that I had to learn and I'll share. I'll be vulnerable, which is easy for the extrovert, right? But not really. (laughs) Vulnerability is not easy for anybody. My now husband told me that we might've been dating a lot earlier if I shut up long enough for him to ask me out. He had to have already gotten married by then because I know that's not an early (laughs) admission to have, right? But you know, it was early on. He said Uh, I was a little intense, and mm. that literally they like once him and his best friend asked me for some advice, and I came on really strong, and they both literally physically backed away from me at the table, and I was like, "Oh, was that too much, guys? (laughs) Sorry, yeah." I'm like, well, but you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. And you know, this is really great for our execs listening because we often can come across that way and aren't aware anymore because we're often paid to show up magnanimously or in the room in a big way. And so I think that's a really great reminder that it's often, we have to just kind of have our sensors up for how it's being received. Well, it's important when we're creating connection that we're being self-aware about that. You know, this actually brings us to one of the other mindsets, which is to be open and accepting. Mm-hmm. And an open and accepting mindset, we often think about it as open and accepting to somebody else, mm-hmm. but we also need to be open and accepting of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
And that's somewhat harder because we all have what I call unique charms. I just shared one of mine. I can be intense and I talk a lot. Silence, I admit, makes me a little uncomfortable and I fill it up. (laughs) (laughs) And so a unique charm is a quality about ourselves that is core to who we are. It is part of our authenticity. And at the same time, doesn't always work for us. You know, my husband's is humor. I Mm -hmm. love the fact that after 17 years, he still makes me laugh. But sometimes he goes for the joke at the wrong time. (laughs) Um, This is not the moment. Unique charm. And Mm -hmm. so understanding when we need to flex and adapt, really kind of thinking about in this moment, what is the best use of my strength? You know, how can I serve in this moment? And sometimes that is under leveraging our strengths, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so it is being very thoughtful and not, you know, authenticity is obviously, you know, chapter one of my, my first book, but authenticity doesn't give us permission to not think about the other person in the interaction. Thank you for saying that so crisply. I think I have seen a lot of leaders use their authenticity as an excuse for flattening out folks around them sometimes. <laughs> so that is very well said, Michelle. Thank you. It's, it's funny. I was once doing a talk at my old university and I'm somebody who wants to welcome everybody, make them feel great in the room. And, and so I'm kind of at the door as people are coming in, shaking hands, talking to people, walking them mm-hmm. over to their tables and things like that. And this one woman told me later, and by the way, the talk I was doing was called You the Brand. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was being authentic and I was being my brand. And one of the things I allow people to do in that talk is to tell me what they think of me. They don't have to be nice. I do it towards the end, but I ask them early on. I say, I want you to think right now about the opinion you formed. What are the adjectives that you'd use to describe me? And then I'm going to ask you later. Are you serving alcohol at this event? I'm no. kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I might need it, but no, <laughs> I, I have gotten used to, and I'm aware of all the bad things people will say now. I say them uh-huh. for them if they don't. Okay. Sometimes they don't want to be mean. So sure. literally this slide says, you don't have to be nice. I can take, yeah. I ask them if it's changed, right? Because we tend to make our decisions very quickly. So this woman, when I was walking in, I could tell I was coming on a little strong. So I tried to back off and she told me later, in front of everybody, because I had her, because I, I bring the audience into it. And she said, I almost turned around and left. Mm, wow. It was so much to her mm-hmm. that she almost turned around and left. Yet she sat almost in the front. And she said, I realize now what it was and what your intention was. But in that moment, it was too much. She goes, but I also saw that you saw it. And mm-hmm. so even though we teach these things, even though you know what we might be great at something and know it, it's still hard to sometimes implement. And that sure. constant feedback loop mm-hmm. that we can create for ourselves and as leaders, I strongly recommend that constant feedback loop of asking a simple question like, hey, what's one idea you have for me to improve my leadership? Mm-hmm. And asking it monthly. Or, hey, you know, what's one thing you think I should stop or start doing? Mm-hmm. Quick little light questions and ask for observable, measurable, tangible, actionable ideas. That's what we call feed forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Not feed backward because I can't change the past. That's so give right. me something I can do. That's right. Leaders and execs are so stretched, as you know, maybe more than ever. 
So I imagine that many of them, as we're talking about, get out there, connect, give. There's part of them that's like, oh, I want it so bad. And there's got to be another part for most of them that are like, and when will I do this? So what's your advice for leaders on how they maintain that network without making it yet another part-time job that they need to adopt? Absolutely. And and really what you're talking about is the mindset of abundance. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we, none of us have (laughs) is an abundance of time. That's right. So I do actually have some very tactical things in the book around how to find underutilized time. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean our downtime because I think that is, downtime is utilized Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of, you know, resharpening the saw and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff, but there's underutilized time. And so, for example, I like to do my exercise every morning. I walk, whether it's on the Peloton or outside. Mm -hmm. And I've now taken to doing walk and talks. And Mm -hmm. I let whoever it is know. And I'll be like, I'm on a hill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm now basically getting a call done while I'm doing my morning exercise and I'm more efficient. Mm -hmm. So I have had meetings at the nail salon. Mm -hmm. I have had breakfasts after the gym and all sweaty, Mm -hmm. you know, and these are professional meetings. I hired somebody I met at the dog park. So (laughs) understand that when you are a connector, you are infusing the mindsets and the behaviors into everything that you're already doing. It's not that you have to make time for it. It's that you're already talking to people. You're already online at the supermarket. You're already, you know, on the soccer field for the game. You're already wherever it might be. And in those moments, you are being social and curious. In those moments, you're being conscientious. In those moments, you're being open and accepting. In those moments, you're building trust. So that's one piece of it, right? One piece is finding underutilized time. And the other piece of it is having a system. And I kind of cringe a little bit with this. I don't have a CRM. I don't have any like crazy, like, I'm going to talk to this people, this many. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. go crazy. Mm -hmm. Here's my system. If you come into my head, I write your name in my calendar. And so I really try, especially like sometimes I don't catch it on the first time, but then something happens and they come into your head more than once, one, two, three times. And then I put their name on in my calendar, their name will pop up. And then I'll be like, oh, let me send them a quick note. Let me put a little note on LinkedIn. Let me go look at their post and comment on something. Let me do something to connect in some way with this person that came into my mind. And sometimes it's simply as an email saying, you keep coming into my mind. I've been thinking about you. Give me an update. What's going on in your life? Right. Yeah. And then this connection. It is. And then I might just say something like, here's my quick update. Yeah. And I, by the way, I do this with the CEO of a company, a public company that I had met. I think we're going on 16 years ago Mm -hmm. because I think I was pregnant with my first kid. And I remember him saying to me, life is a lot less fun with kids. (laughs) You're like, thanks for the right. blessing. I know. Okay. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm eight months pregnant here. I'm like, why would you say that to me? He's like, it's a lot more meaningful, but a lot less fun. And I've never forgotten it. And I get it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a different kind of fun, right? You exactly. get your joy. And anyway, we won't go down that path. But my yeah. point being, known him for a really long time, I got introduced by somebody and we reconnect maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. And it's usually me sending him my annual email saying, Hey, it's the holiday season. Let's go for our walk or Mm -hmm. let's reconnect. And he almost always says yes. Or he'll be like, okay, here's, here's some options. And we chat for hour, hour and a half and that's it for a year. Yeah. But that's enough. 
Mm-hmm. Well, for, such quality time, it sounds like too. Yeah. You know, we were in a bar once because it used to be every holiday until COVID. Yeah. You know, and I had been to his house and it was invited to a party here and there and his, his nephew needed some coaching. And so he sent him to me and he like, so we've done made introductions for each other. We've mm-hmm. just stayed in each other's orbits and, and been a resource for each other. And obviously, you know, he's far more successful and, and, you know, he's got a wiki page and all that stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is known. He's known. Mm-hmm. And so we're in a bar once during one of our get togethers and we're chatting and we're chatting about, you know, his kids are older than mine. And, and I said to him at one point, I'm like, you know, you're my mentor, right? <laughs> and he just smiled and laughed. Yeah. Right. Cause it didn't have to be formal or official. It right. was simply like, you know, you have been this person that influences me in my and life. You wanted to acknowledge I it. Your advice. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, but all uh, by keeping that annual check in alive. Well, so yes, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Once a year. So mm-hmm. you don't have to think about like a weekly thing. Here's one more idea for you because I like to be tactical. Mm-hmm. The least productive hour of the work week is 4 to 5 p.m. on Friday. So from 4 to 5 p.m. on Friday, nobody wants to do real work. So from 4 to 5 p.m. on Friday, there's an hour a week where you can send some notes, have a fun little phone call, you know, do a coffee. Maybe you say every you know, Friday somewhere for five minutes from four to five, I will do one thing to reach out to one person. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great challenge. I love that. Michelle, this, I feel like we could talk for hours. (laughs) I just want listeners to know, I have one more question for you here in a second, but I want listeners to know, we're going to be sure to share your LinkedIn newsletter link where they can find the book, that quiz you mentioned, as well as your websites and other places to find you on social. So we'll be sure that everybody can easily find you and your work. And in closing, I want to ask you our signature question and just kind of reminding you and listeners that the podcast was created to discover the behaviors, practices, beliefs, and skills that all the future leaders need in order to keep leading our systems that are continuing to change at warp speed. So to get your read, Michelle, on what's required of future leaders, just finish this sentence for me. Leaders of the future will. Leaders of the future will be connected. There will be connected leaders that create connected cultures, that create connected teams. And as a result, they will have higher engagement, retention, loyalty, productivity, and bottom lines. Mm. And that's how you drop the mic. (laughs) That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Michelle. Again, thank you for your wonderful work that you're putting into the world and for the generosity of connecting with me. And our listeners via this podcast, we have learned so much from you today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Workplace Forward podcast, where leaders and executives can stay ahead of the curve on emerging leadership ideas and self-care best practices. Guided by executive coach Tegan Travato and her expert guests. Please take 60 seconds to help others discover the Workplace Forward podcast by going to iTunes to subscribe, give five stars, and leave a comment. Want to learn more about Bright Arrow Coaching and leadership development? Visit the website at www.brightarrowcoaching.com. See you next time. And while you're filling your team's cups, remember to take care of yourself too.